Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Ray. Welcome back to the STL Tones podcast, Behind the Tones, episode number two. We have in the studio on the other line, Mr. Will Putney. Will, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And I just have to say right off the bat, a huge congratulations to you on a successful 2019. You got, you did so much this year that uh, we have a lot to talk about. And I just want to say congrats, man. Oh, thank you. Much appreciated. But before we get into all that, let's let's go back. Let's start. Let's start out. Like, what is your earliest musical memory? And then we'll just go from there. Like, what what is the earliest thing you can remember about music in general? Earliest musical memory. Um, I would have been five, maybe four. I don't know. I was really young, and I got a little. There was a little cassette tape player at my house and my parents gave me and I was interested in it. So I got some kind of like VH1 hits tape with all this eighties crap on it. Hell yeah. Um, and I just played that tape. I was just like, is the, I just didn't, wasn't processing like music on a tape and it blew my mind. And I would just play this like eighties VH1 tape with like, some rough stuff on it. <laughs> could, you, could you remember what, like any specific songs that were on there? Yeah. Uh, dead or alive by Bon Jovi. Classic Venus. Um, uh, I don't even know who sings that. The one from the commercial, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The commercial <laughs> one. Uh, and I don't know. There was a few others on, on there, but it was just like whatever was popular music at the time there that VH1 was playing. It was like some weird, compilation but right right yeah i wore that tape out as a child so that's probably my first musical memory right so then it just it had to have been subconscious because you're you know so young like just something about the way it, it was interacting with with how you felt inside like you gravitated towards music i mean i mean if you're wearing a tape out at age five something's got to be resonating with you you know what i mean yeah i really liked music early and i think my parents caught on too and they bought me a little piano, like I had a little keyboard that had some some kind of Casio thing, and I would like just play that. And some of my family played instruments, and I was super interested in that. I would like have relatives come over with like a flute or something, and then they would just buy me lots of like toys that were like musical related toys too. Right. So just always just, always just kind of around it as a kid. Yeah, I was I was like very interested in it early. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't like actually learn how to play music, but I was just like playing with music toys. <laughs> right. So then what, what was the, the segue or the connecting piece to you picking it? Was a guitar your first instrument? Yeah. Okay. I, I, um, was really into, um, I played, uh, actually no guitar wasn't, um, I think in middle school I played like saxophone for a little bit. <laughs> okay. And, uh, I, yeah, I played saxophone up until, maybe seventh or eighth grade and then got into like rock and metal music and stuff around that time too. And all the nineties stuff that was out then. And, um, I was like, I had gotten a job pushing carts at a supermarket and met a bunch of kids that were into hardcore and like got exposed to, um, like the New Jersey hardcore scene. And that's when I was like, I want to get a guitar and start a band. Cause this looks like fun. Yeah. So I got like a Epiphone and that was like my first entrance to playing guitar really. And I would just like try to learn songs and, you know, just play Metallica riffs and Nirvana stuff and just like try to get better at guitar and play in bands. So like pretty much from then out, you know? Right. Right. So we're, we're talking like early night, like 91, 92 around this era. No, I'm not that old. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this would have been like 1998 or 9. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. I was going to say, yeah. something's not adding up on my end. I was like, okay, yeah. So yeah, We're yeah. talking late 90s, I, I, okay. Late 90s we're talking about, yeah. Well, you said Nirvana, and that, that was like, that's what threw me off. Okay. Yeah, it was the end of Nirvana, but it was like, you know, I had the, the last like unplugged tape, and um, I was, yeah, that was like the tail end of the 90s stuff, I okay. guess, is what I got into. And then, um, then just started transitioning into like playing some metal and learning Metallica and Pantera songs and Slayer songs and stuff like that. Yeah. Did, did you, did you do, I seem like with a lot of metal heads, they kind of just like 
go down the rabbit hole once they just dis- they discover like you know they all have like a catalyst band and then they they just go like heavier and heavier and then they meet new friends who meet know this band and this band just kind of like spider webs out that way that did you have a similar experience to that i actually skipped a lot of that because i got right into hardcore like at 14 years old uh, 15 okay, years okay. old i was going to like new jersey hardcore shows which was already what i felt which is probably way more extreme than you know popular metal records at the time right. um and then like sponged up all that stuff and i really liked the crossover bands that had like metal influences so i would you know i kind of went from the more extreme stuff and then went oh this is kind of cool too and then kind of found thrash bands and things like that but it was like almost like yeah it kind of like worked the other way yeah for me. that's actually pretty rare because you know stereotypically it seems like you know for me personally like i my dad was a classic rock guy and then i would just go down the rabbit hole and get heavier and heavier and that's what a lot of people that i've you know personally met have but i've never really met too many people that went the other way that went started out extreme and then went to the more commercially acceptable stuff that's pretty interesting yeah, that scene was just what was around here, and it was really good at the time. So there were like, um, there was just a bunch of bands and friends that played in bands and stuff, and it was just, uh, if it was easy to go, it was a lot easier to go down the street to VFW halls and go see those bands play than it was to go to like big venues and see concerts when you can't even drive. Yeah, you know? yeah, like the you know you're in you're in North Jersey, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you know, Madison Square Garden is is right there, and like the Meadowlands that area. That's much much harder to get to as a kid. Right. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So then, okay. So you're in the hardcore scene, and you're, you're discovering these bands. What was? Is there like a specific moment that you can remember, or just a collection of moments where you're like, "This is what I want to do for a living." Um, I don't think there was ever a particular moment where I had watched the band and went oh i want to do this forever i think it was more just for fun um as a kid and we weren't very good either i was pretty self-aware that <laughs> i wasn't very good at being at our band wasn't great you know so right. i didn't see it as like a a career or anything i was still going to i was still planning on going to college and doing something else and this was all just kind of like a hobby okay so then but then at what so then at what point in time did you like so like what happened did you go through high school did you go the college route what happened and how'd you get into like the music business basically i um i like finished high school i went to college and i was like always i was like at that point a little more involved in music stuff i was booking shows around new jersey and like putting out records with like a little label that i had tried to start at the time and i was still playing in band so i was pretty active in that world but i was just it was all just for fun and i was just going to school for something completely different taking like some music classes for fun like to to just learn some music theory and a little bit about music business stuff but i wasn't really it was still like not um a career path for me i was like fully down the road doing something else for for a couple of years in college actually right just kind of just like doing it for fun and then were you just like kind of holding on to a dream like something hey something could come out of it or was it just literally just to pass time no it was just what i liked in okay. my free time it's just stuff i did you know and right. um yeah it just didn't click that like i never saw an in for a career there and I, what i was going to school for biomedical engineering which is like on paper a much more safe career path and you know i had some pressure to like do that you know, and, right, right. and just didn't think like, yeah, couldn't really survive. Didn't see an angle where I'd be like able to survive in Jersey doing music at the time, you know? Yeah. And that, I was going to ask, I was going to ask a little bit later on, but since you brought it up, why, um, you know, how come you stayed in Jersey? Because, you know, Jersey, I'm from Philadelphia. So like, I kind of know the area a little bit like this, the tri-state area isn't that huge in you know, the music scene and especially like in the metal scene. So like it's, it's, it was interesting to know that you've stayed local in Jersey. You know, I just would, was it out of necessity? Was it because you just had a niche? Well, you know, why, why Jersey? I'm just really curious. Um, well, when I was applying for colleges, the way that works is if you stay in state, you get more money. Yeah. It's, cheap, and it's cheaper if you're in state. Yeah, yeah. I, so I was like, you know, 
I was actually, I did really well in school and was looking at some Ivy Leagues and almost wound up moving to New York to do NYU, but just financially, um, it made sense to stay in Jersey at the time because school was going to be, uh, I got basically almost a full ride to go to, um, a college in Hoboken. And I thought Hoboken was cool at the time and it was very, very close to New York. So I was like, all right, well I could still, I'm still that kind of at the center of everything here. And the music scene was really good around here. Um, right, right. So it wasn't like, I didn't feel like I needed to go anywhere else. I could still be close to home and, everybody that I knew and have this school that was kind of paid for. So it, it kind of all clicked. I didn't really have a desire to leave. Yeah. Like you didn't, you didn't feel like the cliche pressure to move to LA and try to make it or anything like that. No, like I was not even that this, there was no career in music, yeah, you know, right, at right. the time. So that wasn't even a factor, you know? So then, so how did it become a career then? Like what, when did school become not the most important and how did you essentially it sounds like you just kind of fell into the music business yeah i was interning for fun at this place called um the syndicate which is like a radio promotion company they okay. also like managed a bunch of bands that i liked at the time and did some marketing and things like that and i was just like helping out there met a bunch of those guys and um that shared a building with machine the record producer okay. he was like the neighbor to the building and my internship was like running was like pretty much done. And he had just had uh, his first um, his uh, son and like kind of needed to take some time off, but had a band in. So they were just looking for somebody to kind of like babysit a band and hang out around the studio. Just didn't know did they he just needed a kid in there to like turn the lights on and off. Right. And uh, the syndicate guys knew I liked his records and stuff. So like I met him and got introduced and I wound up just taking that job. And at the time I was like really interested in what he was doing, but I knew nothing about recording. I just liked the records he made, And I was like, Oh, this could be fun. Like I've never worked in a studio before or anything like that. I've only, I had made a couple records with bands, but I didn't know anything about studio stuff at the time. Right. Didn't, didn't understand like the ins and outs and the actual, technicality of the recording process yeah yeah i had like maybe tried to record myself once at a friend's and was like yeah i don't know what's going on <laughs> so i literally just had no knowledge of it and was like oh i like the bands he works with so let me see it could be fun you know yeah. so i i just kind of went in there blind not really knowing anything so then so then you going in blind and not knowing anything you just kind of always just hung around and just just learned by just just being around the guys and just from just trial and error, it sounds like. Yeah, it was pretty much just like a unpaid internship kind of thing. But the perk of it, which is what was super valuable, was if the studio wasn't in use, I could kind of play around in there and learn stuff on my own and kind of watch what they do during the day. And then after sessions or before sessions, I kind of experiment with my own stuff and that's kind of how it snowballed because like it, within a couple weeks I was like bringing friends bands in and trying to make records on my own and stuff just like absorbing what I was watching and reading and like learning and just kind of trying to apply it on my own. Right. right. Um, and I was like, yeah, I was just grinding away working for a machine and doing the intern stuff and then just making my own records like pretty much immediately as soon as i had the very basic knowledge of what things are you know yeah and so what do you think was your biggest challenge what was your biggest challenge in that whole learning curve um the biggest challenge i don't know i think like learning as i went and then when troubleshooting kind of things pop up i wasn't ever really fully prepared for anything you know? Yeah. So it was like, everything was a challenge. Cause I didn't know how anything really worked. I only knew just the most basic sort of entry level thing I could about, about like what things are not how to use them, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so anytime anything happened, it was like on the spot, I basically had to learn how to do something, you know, it yeah. was like, it's just like doing a job where you have no knowledge or experience of what happens to just figuring the job out as you go, yeah, you know, just kind of just shooting from the hip. And it sounds like you just continuously did that and then, you know, figured it out and just kept getting better each, each time something would come up. It sounds like, yeah, I mean, it's basically the pro that was the whole process. You know, I would just 
work with machine. He'd start to give me more tasks as I start to learn stuff. He'd show me stuff. And then I would just, you know, take the methods and apply them to my own projects, try to learn, come up with new things on my own. And yeah, that just kind of, we did that for maybe like a year or so. And then I was just engineering for him for a little bit. At that point, I was like, I had, I fortunate, I was fortunate enough where I knew a lot of bands around here who were down to like, you know, I would just kind of record them super cheap and make like try to make records and demos and things for bands. And within a year or two, I had done a bunch of stuff and I kind of was starting to get comfortable or at least I knew how to do this now. And then I was able to kind of hone it and stuff. Right. It's, it's just it just sounds like almost like a, you know, a perfect storm of having clients figuring out as you go trial and error and then just always being that guy that's always there to record for cheap. It's just kind of like you just build a name to name it for yourself for your reputation and just kind of always just being around the studio it sounds mm-hmm. cool yeah more or less that's pretty much like how it's gone forever even you know right. and and it, it got to a point where i finally started to get some label work and um i had done well with a, a couple records like for my you know my first cracks at stuff with certain labels and managers so they just started to call more and I started to get more steady work like that where got to the point where I didn't really have to work for machine anymore. Cause I was getting my own kind of budgets to make records and stuff. And, and then, um, yeah, we wound up moving out of there and like kind of getting an upgraded place where we could both make records and not be as on top of each other. And even then it kind of like, I got busy enough where I had my own staff and there was, we were doing multiple records then. And then, I wound up actually taking over the facility where we've been for like the past five or six years now, um, where it's just me and all my guys and we've been producing records. And now my dudes are becoming their own record producers where they don't really, you know, they don't really work for me all the time anymore either. They're just kind of making their own. Now we're just all sharing a building, making our own records. Right. Now this is all at graphic nature audio, correct? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, during this whole time, was there ever like, was there any pressure or any, any thoughts of like, man, like, is this all going to work out? Like, what am I, what am I doing? Or did you always just like kind of know like, Hey, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll do it. Um, yeah. I mean, I had no idea because I, I knew once I realized like it could be a job, I definitely wanted to try to make it my career. You know, as yeah. soon as I was like, as soon as I saw how it could actually work. And in my head, uh, I saw like what, how I could actually make money doing it and and support myself and things like that. I was like very into going for it. Um, but it's super unpredictable because it's not steady work. You, you don't, you know, you don't know if you're going to be able to sustain yourself, you know? So I still had like side jobs and I was still like, super tight on money all the time, like very stressed out about just paying monthly bills and things like that. So it it was like in the beginning, it was a bit scary because I just went for it without really having any kind of plan financially or anything like that. But, um, yeah, it worked out a couple close calls, but it worked (laughs) out. So what, what would you say would be your biggest, I don't want to, I guess, yeah, I guess like your biggest big break, like what, what band did you record? What, you know, what, label was backing you what would you say or or there could be a series of them but like around what time period and you know at what point in time did you realize okay hey i've established myself on my own i'm okay financially i've made a name for myself like all the above um well being okay financially didn't happen for a long time (laughs) (laughs) because new jersey's expensive yeah it is recording rent paying studio rents and living here and doing all that just it took forever so that's not a thing that happens right away right. at all. But um, as far as like records, um, the first label, there's probably two. The first, um, the first like band that was like kind of like a proper label thing was this band called The Banner that um, was on Ferret Records. And at the time, Ferret Records was like the coolest label. It was my favorite record label. Right. It had all my favorite bands. And um, it was like in New Jersey, that was the label, you know, at at the time. And, um, this was a pretty popular band from the area at the time and everything. And, um, I was able to like kind of convince 
the dude, Caro, the guy who runs the label to kind of trust me with this band. And he knew machine cause they had worked together doing like every time I die records and boys night out records and stuff. So he was like, all right, yeah, let's give it a shot kind of thing. It was like really the first label that ever was like, you know, proper label that was ever like kind of into the idea and worth, you know, let, let me try to make a record for him. And actually like right before that record, the guitar players left that band and I had it booked and I just was like super bummed and didn't want to cancel it. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to make this record. <laughs> so me and the, the singer and the drummer of the band just wrote and recorded the record. Um, and it, it was pretty cool. It like made when it came out, a lot of people liked it and it was like kind of proved that I could handle a situation like that. And I think it earned me a lot of like respect creatively around, at least in like this scene around here. Um, Cause when people had discovered that I was kind of the guy who had also written it and recorded it and everything, it, it definitely helped. And I think a lot of bands were a little more comfortable from that scene, like coming in after, after that one. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So now is this in contingency and at the same time as the beginning of fit for an autopsy? Was this around this time or is this a little bit before or after? Uh, somewhere around that time we had started, we had probably started putting some of that together. We were, me and Pat, who had started that band, were playing in bands together for years before that even. Okay. Um, and throughout like the end of high school, beginning of college, I was like already doing bands like for fun with him and stuff. And um, that band just started with some friends kind of, just for fun playing metal because we had always been in hardcore bands and it was like we liked metal we never tried to do a proper metal band or anything like that so um that was like the first real go at doing a metal band and uh we didn't have like a serious lineup we just had friends around here and um it was nothing more than like occasionally jamming and maybe you know maybe trying to write songs to make a record one day or whatever but we actually we hooked up with um, Nate, who became the singer of the band. He was like at the time, like this really kind of respected vocalist, and was in a band that we really liked, and from out of state. And um, that band had kind of broken up, and he was touring with some other bands, just filling in, having fun. We met him at a show, told him about our little band, and he was like interested in doing it. And we're like, oh wow, this guy's like he's like the guy he's like one of our favorite singers and he's got this great voice we're like we should just this could actually like we can get this off the ground if he's in a band because you know him doing a new band people will pay attention we actually have a shot at getting our music heard so we took it a little more seriously then and i guess that was like around 2009 or so so it wasn't like the beginning of i had been i had made a few records at that point mm-hmm. and i i was like I had I was like confident enough, I guess, where I was like, yeah, I can rec- I'll record like a demo. We'll make like a little EP and get it out there. And that was like really the start of the band. We we just put these like the first four songs that we had. We brought Nate down. We jammed on him. We, we recorded this little EP and, and then we just put it up for free online. Um, and that's basically how the band that was like the beginning of it, you know, and then we, from there, people were kind of into it. So we started to play shows and um, it just kind of grew from that. Yeah, and then it it grew to a point to where it seems like you had to make a conscious decision of staying back and no longer touring with the band because it got got so big. Yeah, as the band started to grow and start to tour, I had done some of the beginning touring stuff, but I really couldn't tour full time because initially I was like still working for Machine, and I couldn't lose my job to do this you know i still looked at the band like this was just like a thing for fun and touring was super awesome we had a blast doing it but i was like yeah it's obviously not going to be like any kind of career because we play super extreme music i just never thought i just thought i wouldn't be able to like live on a on on a band like that you know right and i would and definitely wouldn't have been able to at the time everybody in the band had jobs and actual profession like you know was taking off of work to go do tours so it wasn't like a scenario where we were like all jumping into that but the band did grow started to tour more full-time 
I started to just like do some of it, but then I couldn't, I couldn't. It became this thing where it was like, I kind of have my career in music doing what I want now, making records, like it's going really well. And I couldn't put it on hold because I felt like I would have missed my opportunity to grow and like get out there. And at that time it was like, really like go for it or don't, um, on both sides of the fence. So it was like, we should just get another guy, like another guitar player that could do the touring. And then it started with like, yeah, he'll join, he'll be like a fill in. We'll see how it goes. Maybe I'll, you know, maybe there'll be tours I'll be able to do, but he's great. And very quickly we all realized like, we should just have him in the band. This should be how this rolls. It's never an issue. Everybody knows their roles and it's not like, um, you know, having that sort of solid five piece thing live with me staying at home is really good for, it functions really well for the band. I can handle the business stuff and I have more time to work on records and work on fit records. And they, they just have this five piece touring unit. That's just good and rehearsed and we're not throwing a wrench in by switching a guitar player. So it actually works out great. The whole dynamic of it is, is good for both sides. You yeah, know? it sounds it sounds like yeah, like almost almost like the dream scenario for you. I mean, you get to do it, do what you love, and that's make records. And at the same time, you get to write for an awesome, you know, deathcore band. And you know, you're just doing two two professions in the in the music business that are like extremely successful and and well received. And you know, it's, it seems like just you know, at least from my perspective, that's that's like a dream come true having a band as well as being able to record bands. I mean, what more could you ask for? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's worked out great. And it's like, I'm definitely like, obviously I get bummed that I miss some of these like awesome tours and shows and festivals and things that the guys do, but it's comes with the territory. I mean, that's the trade off, you know, those dudes like uh, put the work in and did these years of touring to get to this point where they get to play these awesome shows now and stuff. And it's like, it's cool. Like at the same time, I've been able to grow my work as a producer and not kind of have that inter- affect the band in a negative way so like we all right. came out of it kind of winning you know yeah that, that that's that's refreshing to hear as your sort of your perspective on it like you know it'd be it'd be very easy for somebody to be extremely jealous and like you know be like um kind of like bad vibes you know what i mean like oh you guys get to go tour and like just be negative about it but you guys seem to have like a perfect friendship and business relationship that's that's like doing very well for both both ends of the spectrum so that's awesome to hear about yeah, I mean, touring is super fun, but it's hard. It's really hard, especially with the kind of music that we play because yeah. it's not comfortable ever. And these dudes are away from home and they sacrifice so much to like make all of that happen that it's like, yeah, I mean, that's the reward is like getting to do these awesome things and see the world. And, you know, it's the choice that they made with their lives and they're enjoying it. And luckily now it's getting to the point where guys pay their bills off of it and it's become like, the job also, you know, but right. it took, it's hard to get there. And like, I couldn't have done it, you know, like I couldn't have put all of that work in and still have been the record producer that I am. So I just, we had to make that call. Right. For sure. Um, so now speaking more about your, your business side of things, I mean, we have to talk about your signature plugin from STL Tones. I mean, that first off, again, huge congratulations. That's, that's amazing. And you know, everybody, Everybody loves it, so I just I just want to say you know, congrats on, on an awesome awesome job, well done. Yeah, thank you. I mean, credit to the software engineer also because it's my favorite amp sim ever, and yeah, he literally was able to take my sounds and just translate them into software like no one I've ever seen do. So <laughs> it, it's awesome. I know. I I, I heard about three seconds of the process and I was like, ah, yeah, you already, you already lost me. Like the, the amount of detail and the amount of like just intelligence that goes into that is, is incredible. And, you know, I would like for you to speak on what, what were you looking for to have in a plugin? Like what was the criteria? What did you want? What were you trying to get out of it? What were you trying to use it for, et cetera? Just all the above. I just wanted it to sound like an amp. Literally that was it. I was like, these are my amps. I, this is what I use. Here's my signal chain. And I just want that in the computer. I've never gotten a version of that from software that is even close to reality, you know? Right. And, um, 
I'm not opposed to doing anything software based anymore. Like I have tons of analog gear and amps and pedals and cabs and a million microphones and everything. And I use all that stuff. But if I had a tool that was in a computer that was as good, it would be awesome and save a ton of time and just be convenient. I could travel and use it. So I was like, I just want to be able to get a guitar sound like I do in real life in the computer and that's it. Like if it's, if it works like that, like I'm all in on it, you know? So initially when I got approached about it, that's kind of, I was just like, here's exactly what I do. I can give you my whole chain schematics. Like we can talk through any part of the process, but like, I just want to have this in the computer, you know? And yeah. they did, you know, they spent a lot of time developing that first amp so so we can like make sure this was actually going to work and i was like let's do one and see how it sounds and if it's there i'm all you know i'm all about it but if not i just didn't even want to do one because i don't like making things that aren't good and then convincing people that they're good or convincing people to buy it or something like it's a disservice to people who like what i do yeah it's, you it's, know it's disingenuous and it's, yeah it's, and there's so many companies yeah, there's just so much of that out there. Like, I don't take endorsements or do shit with people who, you know, if I don't use the stuff or like it or think it's good, I'm not going to pretend it is or try to convince right, someone right. who's younger or as unexperienced that, oh, yeah, this is what I use. It's awesome. You should use it because it just feels I wouldn't want someone to do that to me. And I remember when I was younger and I didn't have a lot of money, but I was like trying to buy just the tools that I really thought I needed and stuff. I would look to people who I respected to see what they were using or what they recommended. Mm -hmm. And if I got bad information, I would be pissed, you know? So yeah. I never, I just never wanted to sign up for anything that I thought was going to be whack like that. Right. And, uh, that was my, it was my whole concern with this whole thing. Cause I'd rather just not do it than do it bad. Um, but they nailed it. Like it's just they, I gave them like my amp and all the info and everything about it ran a million tones and, when the process was crazy, but I gave them so much detail with this one amp that I have that I've had for like 20 years. I know it so well. I could turn it on immediately and know it's mine versus another one that's the same. Like I know this thing. And right. uh, I was like, I got to hear it back close to this because that'll show me that it's reality, you know? Yeah. Um, and they got it. They just nailed it immediately. It blew my mind like right away. I was like, this is actually the amp. Like I'm a being it with the tone and the cab that's set. And I actually can't even tell the difference. I was like, I knew they would get it close, but I'm like, it, it's exact. Like right, I had to punch right. in on this thing with the plug-in and you wouldn't that's know, so awesome. you know? Um, so yeah, it was, we were just from then. I was like, all right, let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> let's right. get it all in. You um, know? So I just want to make sure I get, cause I personally don't know this. I just want to make sure I get, get the, the timeline, right? So SDL tones reached out to you and then you said, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm into it but and then gave him like the criteria that you just just mentioned to me like that's how it went down yeah pretty much okay. we kind of left it like well let's see if it's cool you know like yeah. i was very into the idea because i'd worked with the company and i knew they kind of cared about things being good um as opposed to just getting content out right we had done some kemper packs and things like that and i, I just knew that they were sunny's very like dialed in and knows what's good and didn't this is like he was very hungry to make the best products and not just to make money right you know so they, they, i they stand I, the test of time and longevity if they're if they're good you know what i mean so, yeah i mean that's just there's too much stuff out there now and it just has to be like you can't put bad stuff out like you you can't run a successful business with bad products now it's just there's too many options for everything and there's too many people who will tell you it sucks on the internet if it's not good, like, and people won't buy your, buy your product. So it's like, right. it was, it's very clear. Like we're not, this isn't a gimmick. It just has to be good, has to work exactly how we say it's going to work. And I was like, yeah, if we do this and this actually comes out like this, then I would be way into it. You know, were you, were you extremely, um, reluctant to go digital because you've been so um you've been so used to using analog and real tube amps like were you against like oh i don't know about going digital you know what i mean well that's a, that's I, a very that's, stereotypical that thing. was like my hesitation at first because i you know i had never done i had never had a guitar sound on a record that i had produced that w didn't come from amps or right. my setup you know and it, it wasn't because 
I'm some analog purist guy because I'm not. I use plenty of software. But I literally just didn't have anything that was even close to what I was just getting, you know, with with actual analog gear. So at that time, I was like 0 for 20 trying to find plugins that I thought were even, you know, usable. Right. So I was like just kind of off it just by default because I had I try everything, you know. If I uh, I get demos and if some if I hear a lot of people are using a certain piece of software, like I want to see what it's about, but like it, nothing was working for me, you know. Right. And the the only thing that was close were were these plugins, these Lapu plugins. They were the they were the best of the worst for me, and they were the, they they it, like they were almost there. And it was this guy, this software engineer, who they hired. I'm like, well, he's. From what I can gather from everything I've seen, he's actually the best software engineer for this stuff in the world, you know. Right. And it, and Fred Rico. So yeah. I, I was, I was like, all right, you have the guy who I think is the best one, so it's worth taking a shot on because out of everything I've ever tried, he's he got it the closest. And now if he's going to put a crazy amount of work in on this thing, I actually think it has a shot. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've I've had the privilege of talking to Federico several times. I mean, we kind of work together, and like I'll I'll hit him up with with some questions about you know any any one of the tonality plugins, and just he knows so much about all the ins and outs and all the all the stuff that goes behind it. It's literally incredible the sheer amount of knowledge that goes into yeah. He's in, the, the he's the, the guru. He's the one. He's the guy who cracked the code. Like he's he's figured it out, and I feel like he's years ahead of everybody else uh, as far as how he, his approach and how he designs amps into software he's definitely the one and i'm and without him in place as much as i love stl and sunny and everything that we've done together i don't think this would have been as good you know i just right. think uh, uh, so much of it came down to him like taking the comments and getting punished with the detail stuff and just actually working through it and getting it and getting it right and like yeah the guy killed it Absolutely. Now, going forward for you, are, how are you using your signature plugin for either your own band for, for an autopsy or for records? Or you know, how are you going to use this as a tool for your own career and your own career path? Yeah, I've been using it like crazy. It's awesome because it is doing what I want it to do. And I love that I can track through this thing so I get the performances the way I want them. And I've got this just little bit of room still where I'm in the mix and I want the guitar to be a little more of this or a little more of that. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you commit to a guitar tone in the beginning of a tracking process and you're, it's an educated guess, but it's still a guess on what kind of tone you're looking for and exactly how that's going to sit all the way up to the end. Right. And so it's, like, it's never changing anyway. Like you could tone chase all day. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, normally I would just take my shot. We'd get a guitar tone that everybody likes and it's it generally works out. But, you know, I'm always still problems still show up in the mix and there's been times where I didn't get it completely right and I'm suffering through a mix and I'm really slaving over trying to get this guitar tone right where I fuck, I just wish it was like a little more of this or a little more of that and um, now tracking with the plug-in I'm getting the performances that I want like through this amp so it's not really changing um, like like the takes are there everything sounds the way it should and then I just have this like a little bit of headroom when it comes to the mix now where I can do some final tweaking and it's been such an awesome problem solver. It's become like, I've used it on several records this year. It's just been like the main rhythm tone, you know? Right. And there's been a record or two where same thing, like I've kept a DI, but tracked through an amp cause I thought I wanted a certain thing. And then in the mix, I'd switch over to the plugin. Like, yeah, let me just see if I could beat it. Cause I'm not a hundred percent happy. And I've just beaten my own rhythm tones with the plugin where I'm like, <laughs> You know, from the start, I might not have, who knows, but like at that very end stage, being able to control it and redesign it a little bit, I've like gotten better results than I have uh, with my own amp setup. Like, you know, the thing that emulates what I'm doing actually helped me beat myself, right. you know, in and mixes. It, and It sounds like too, like another, th you know, just with the nature of the industry, it's everything so rapid paced. You're saving time too, you know what I mean? Like you're not setting up mics, you're not... You're not setting up your preamps. You're not t dialing in in another room, then coming back to the control room, and then oh, something's not right. Go back into the amp room. You know what I mean? Like you're just—it's all right there on the screen, and like you're just knocking it out. And your plugin has so many presets available that like y the amount of tones are all right there. At, at, 
everybody's disposal. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's a massive time saver. And then being able to like travel and have these tones, like, cause I've spent a year kind of going to a few other studios working with on some projects and not having to like try to recreate what I do in us in another studio yeah, and just yeah, being yeah. able to kind of pull this up has been like so time saving right. and being able to write at, on uh, like with it and then kind of have that, have those DIs like translate to the next stage. It's like, I've been able to keep some DIs from writing, you know, like the fit record. I wrote, wrote a bunch of stuff with the plugin and the literal DIs from the writing session, like in, in a few cases, made their way all the way up to the end record because it's like, well, I got the performance through the amp. It's good. It's right. It sounds the way I want it to sound. And it was just done at its inception, you know? Right. Um, and like, yeah, that, I mean, that saves so much time, yeah. you know? You couldn't um, save any more time. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, really. Um, could you, are you allowed to name drop some albums that this has been on? Because I know a lot of people are, are, are asking me and asking STL Tones in general. Are you allowed to name drop? Uh, sure. Yeah, I could. I mean, it's the guitar tone on every guitar on the new Fit record. Okay. Um, is that, and I was doing this thing in the beginning of the year when I first got it. Um, I still wasn't sure, like, is this going to be better or worse? I, but I was like, let me do my quad guitars with it because I would, um, like I track my main rhythms with an amp and then I would track the quads through it. Cause I'm like, this will be really cool. Cause I could design the quads to have different in the mix. I could change the way my third and fourth rhythm guitars like can sit from part to part. Right. And I did that on several records. So it was like the knock loose record, the Norma Jean record, um, the straight from the path record. I think the counterparts record too, but it, a lot of stuff it, earlier in the year I had, um, just like, tracked the quads with it and was really, really excited about being able to go into the mix and be like, Ooh, I can make this like more gainy or I can scoop this part or this could be a different tone. And I was just like, create some tracks and change the guitar tone. And all of a sudden I'm like, I have like 10 rhythm guitar tones in this song now right. and it's moving and it's super dynamic. And it was just like, yeah, I don't know if I would have had the time with the band here to put all that detail in. Um, as we went through tracking or I wouldn't have even thought of it at the time. Cause now I'm sitting in the mix. It's at the end stage. I've got all my themes designed for the record. Like I know, and, uh, and I'm trying to accomplish something. And I'm like, I could just do this now. Um, and that's been like super awesome. It's the, uh, it's all the rhythms on the, on the body count record too, that we had just finished. Oh, very cool. Uh, okay. Yeah. I just did the same thing. Cause I tracked, I did a, I did a little bit of writing on that and I just like, would track through that same kind of thing and wound up keeping some of that stuff again. So yeah, I've really been using it actually. It's uh, pretty much every record this year in some shape or form. It, it's, it's on it. Very cool. Um, so now I got a ton of, I reached out to, to the people on the SEL tones, Facebook group on the Instagram. And I got a lot of, a lot of questions to ask you, but they're all very, all very specific in terms of like compression settings on like a snare or like, you know what I mean? Like very in-depth detail. So I don't want to go into that, but I do want to ask you as a sort of umbrella, like what's your overall philosophy either in the studio when you're tracking or mixing, recording, just your overall philosophy on trying to capture the best, the best take possible. Like what's your overall approach or mentality or, or anyway, it's a very broad question, but I would just like for you to speak on that, please. Um, as far as getting the best take possible, it depends on what I'm looking for, but clearly I'm, I, you know, I know what a band, when I'm working with a band, I try to figure out what is like unique or special about that band. Like why people like this band, right? why everyone gravitates towards that and whatever that is, because it could be because they are this super tight, like mechanical thing and it's crazy or because like it's loose and it has this live energy to it. And, you know, it just really depends on the pro on the project. But okay. I just keep that in mind as I'm kind of designing the whole record and whether that's like sonics or performance or anything, it's like I'm just looking to get what fits that vibe for the given part or or, or song, you know, like most accurately. And that could be, you know, that could be a variety of things like it would it would change how I would approach tracking like a given part right. or, or a given band. So there is no like formula for that other than you know keep in mind like what's what's unique about the band 
why it works, like why people connect to it, and then uh, apply that to, um, you know, your tracking, engineering, sound design, all the way through mixing the record. Okay. And that gives you, you know, the result that will connect with people the most. Yeah, it just sounds like just simply put, just make sure you're bringing out the best of that individual artist or band. Like, bring yeah, out the best of it, what makes them stick out to the public. Exactly. Okay, cool. Um, now, going forward, wh- how do you see either your individual um, individual recording process or just the music industry in general? How do you see things changing, if at all, in terms of, like, how people are starting to make music? You know, is, is bigger studios going away? Is it more independent run? Or do you, like, how do you think things are going to change in the next, let's say, five to ten years? I mean, it's definitely becoming more independent because even from when I've started, like I've watched all the big studios in New York close and producers who used to just make records at those studios open up their own studios or have their own home studio. Um, so a lot of that stuff has vanished and a lot of with the with technology moving forward the way it has, it's become so much easier for artists to just kind of make create their own music you know right and not have to rely on a whole bunch of other resources or people but generally i think this style of job like what i do i do think there's always going to be some value for it or some need for it because there's always going to be bands and they're always going to be good but not great and one other set of ears coming in to help get get it to the finish line um you know i think it carries some value and i think it's something that um, a lot of people put put stock in when it when they're you know trying to make the best possible record that they can. So um, for me, I think you know I think I'll still have a place in this world, hopefully <laughs> in the next as it goes. But I mean, it is definitely crazy and impressive how many kind of younger kids who start bands are already you know able to almost like make their own records on their own. Right, right, and all, and all on a MacBook too, or you know, I mean, it's something so so simple, and you don't even need a giant recording studio. But you do, but you do th- think that you know, either in the music business side of things or music theory, just having an extra set of ears can only benefit you if you want to do this as a career. Correct? That's what you're getting. Yeah, at. I mean, there's there's no perfect song or perfect band. You know, yeah. everyone everyone's got room for improvement, and it's like when you're in your own fishbowl and you're creating music, there's something very awesome to that. But it's also like coming in and as an outsider and kind of doing the homework and understanding what could be done to improve uh, a song or a vocal or a lyric or, you know, anything is like, is, is a really, really valuable tool to be able to provide for a band. Right. Right. Um, and just lastly, one last question, just to, to sum everything up, just, what would you say, we kind of touched on it before, but what, what would you say is like your biggest advice for somebody that's just up and coming, either, you know, young kid or somebody that wants to do this, but isn't really sure, you know, how to go about doing it? What's, what's one or several tips that you could give to somebody? The best, it, like the best advice I could do there is like, you have to do it. You can't read about it or kind of watch somebody do it and then try to just, and then just understand it. Like, being able to actually try the methods, apply things, figure out why stuff is working the way it does uh, from the tech on a technical side, uh-huh. um, like the trial and error of like failing and then figuring out why and seeing how you can make something sound better and like breaking through those walls, like and working through all that is really the only way you get really is the only way you can get good, you okay. know? Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people become experts really fast because they've watched a lot of classes or they've, you know, read a bunch of books or they've kind of just like doing studying the stuff and understanding and knowing the what doesn't really translate to the why all the time. So it's like you have to kind of just keep doing it like that. Okay. And being able to work with somebody who you like respect and like whose methods you're really into and sonics you're really into is also extremely valuable because you could sponge up so much and like you know i would have learned in weeks i would have learned like years worth of knowledge had i have gone to school to learn about recording or something like that because i was just getting the actual methods that i was interested in right and 
like really actually understanding how it works like in real life versus like a classroom or a textbook or an online course, you know? So it's like, it's very finding the people whose work you respect and kind of trying to learn from them, um, is also super valuable. Do, do you value, um, let's say I'm, I'm a young kid out of college. Do you value a college degree in rec- like music business or recording, or would you much rather have somebody with experience? Um, I would much rather hear a kid who didn't go to school who's already making good records okay, than a kid who went to school who's not making, you know, because right. it doesn't, going to school to learn how to record doesn't mean you're going to be a good record producer. It doesn't even mean you're musical. It just means that you've studied, you right. know. You memorize um, stuff for a test. That's, that's yeah, I mean, it. there's, sure, there's like a certain level of like responsibility and work ethic there. It's like, okay, you've graduated college, so that means you're able to like pay attention and learn things, but it doesn't make you musical, you know. Right. And I think that's like, you know, there are a lot of kids, unfortunately, that are in school like that that have just spent years doing the classroom stuff, but not really making their own records who have this embedded set of rules about how you're supposed to record and how things go. And it might actually be a handicap at times because sometimes unconventional methods get you the results you want, or sometimes you have to try things that you didn't learn, you know, to be able to try to like figure out what that end product is that you want. So it's definitely, um, you know, being able to make like just figuring it out and doing a lot of work on your own and showing like an intern that comes in that's already making records that sound pretty cool who hadn't gone to school who's just figured stuff out is more appealing to me because it shows that that guy has an ear and is already on the way to like mentally having that right kind of method to improve himself right it's almost like it's almost like they had because they didn't have the schooling they they had the, the sheer passion because nobody else was pushing them. They didn't, weren't doing it for a grade. They were doing it because they, they wanted right. to do it. Yeah, I mean, being passionate enough to invest in your future and spend all this money and go to college, I mean, it's definitely there. It's just like sure. there are two different approaches to learning, you know. Right. And I tend to gravitate towards the ones of the people who have like are self-learners because I feel like they're more invested in themselves becoming successful in that way. Right. Very interesting. Um, so, well, just, I, is there anything else that you would want to, to say to anybody or anything you got coming up just like as a final, final statement for, for the people listening? Um, I don't know. Check out the plugin. There's a demo if you haven't heard it yet. Um, all the people who have had it, who have messaged me and made little videos and helped kind of post about it and play through it online. I very much appreciate it. It's very cool. And it's definitely helped getting the word out for that thing. So thank you. And yeah, it's about it. Bands on tour all year. Go see them in Europe or America. And keep keep an eye on our socials for all the info that's coming. Absolutely. Well, hey, sir, I really appreciate you taking the time. You know, one more time. Thank you so much. Again, a huge congrats on 2019, and I hope 2020 is just as good to you, sir. I really appreciate you taking the time. Awesome, man. Thank you for chatting. I appreciate it also. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll take care, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Bye bye. Later.